This morning, we continue uh, in Jesus teaching us what it means to be prepared to serve him, to know him all the time. And in this passage, Jesus goes on to explain something because Peter has pressed him. Peter was the kid who would have been in, in the back of Dwayne Glansman's geometry classroom who raised his hand and everybody loved him for it, saying, Mr. Glansman, could you explain that one more time? I'm not sure that I get it. And Peter does that and Jesus very emphatically says, great, I love that you asked that because now we're really going to cut to the heart of the matter. So listen to what Jesus does here in Luke chapter 12, verses 41 to 48, as he talks about what it means to be a faithful servant and who the master really is. Listen to God's word. 1 Peter 12, beginning with verse 41. So, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and prudent manager whom his master will put in charge of his slaves to give them their allowance of food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says to himself, Ah, my, my master is delayed in coming. And if he begins to beat the other slaves, men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces. Or some translations say, will cut him off, disconnect him, and put him with the unfaithful. That slave who knew what his master wanted but did not prepare himself or do what was wanted, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. From everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God the reading of this God's word, we come to understand the joyful responsibility that God has given to us as his servants. Let's pray. Let your good news come now, our Father, in the clarifying power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear this word and our place in it, and that we would be challenged, chastened, and blessed to live in response to what you've called us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts then be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our salvation. These things we pray in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Master. Amen. Well, I... I found it really interesting. This, this was not planned, and a lot of times, at least not on our part, on my part, but I find it interesting as we come to this passage that our, that our midweek Bible study groups have been looking at slaves and masters' relationship as we've been studying 1 Timothy, in which Paul 
says effectively in the uh, sixth chapter, if a slave and a master are both members of the body of Christ, slaves are not to use this as a license to be disrespectful and to get out of their responsibility, but rather they are to serve all the more because the two are in the body and that it is not about the individuals, but it's about the goal and the mission of the body. I find that very interesting as we look at this passage when Jesus is talking about responsibilities of slaves and masters. See, Paul knew Luke. You ever stop to think about that? Paul knew Luke very well. They traveled together. Luke writes Acts, and he talks about we. He changes from I to we, meaning that they were together. They talked about this. You know that those were some long voyages and some long walks they were on. And they talked with one another about this and the corollary passages in that the servant is always called to, to be authentically at the behest of the master. And rather than looking for loopholes, a true servant is looking to go the extra mile, as Jesus did and showed us, because that's what he did for us all the way to the cross. And they talked together, okay, what does it truly mean to be a, a douloi, which is the Greek word for slave or servant, or diakonoi, deacon, to Jesus? What does it mean to serve him? Paul wants to know if this is for everyone. Excuse me, Peter wants to know if this is for everyone. As I said, he's the kid in the back of the class going, I'm not sure I'm clear on this. Could you explain it to me? And isn't that good that we can ask Jesus that? And Jesus continues with the parable to describe, therefore, what it means to be faithful to the master. Now, now without getting into the question of whether the master, which is what we would tend to do as human beings, is fair or just or kind or deserving of our wonderful servanthood, right? We need to consider that Jesus is talking in this parable about Israel's and Peter's and your and my and the church's relationship to the master who is Jesus Christ. So we get bogged down in what we call the lower story. What's fair? What's just? How much do I have to do? How much is owed to me? Jesus says, we're talking upper story here. And this is about us, the creation, as the servant, and God as the master. And much of Israel had stopped waiting for the Messiah at this point. And they were running their lives by their own standards. There had been a 400-year silence since the last prophecy. And spiritual amnesia had set in. Can you imagine that? Not being attentive to what God had said through the prophets and through his word. And because of that, people started living and running their lives, imagine this, by their own standards, doing what they thought would be best for, for them, without regard for the promises of Scripture and the faith of the whole body, or without checking in with one another or asking the rabbis, what does God's word call us to do? And in this parable, Jesus is speaking to this then as he still is now. Now, it seems to me I've been hearing in these days a lot of people talking about who their president is and isn't. You may not have picked up on that, but I've been hearing some of that. And now, I'm not 
please know, I am not even beginning to compare the office of President of the United States with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No amount of leadership in the world all combined could begin to compare to that. Every knee will bow from the highest leader to the lowest servant, and every tongue will confess that who is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But how often do we subtly treat Jesus like this? Oh, that's not my president. That's not my leader. That's not my Lord. Because after all, my Lord would do things this way. Now, we may not overtly say this, but how often do we see that happening in our own lives or the world around us where people say, well, look, I'll follow him and I'll trust him if he makes things turn out my way if I'm comfortable with the outcome, if the one I voted for gets elected. We act like Jesus hasn't shown up or that what we wanted or when we wanted it hasn't happened so we don't pay attention to him or we don't stop to consider how, guess what? He would have us act. How often is it the other way around? We're going, hey, you know, Jesus, this is how you're supposed to act toward me because then I'll be comfortable. Now, we don't consciously do that. But as Christians, that can even happen. And it's certainly happening in the world around us to where we effectively say, listen, I'm in charge now and I'm telling you how it's supposed to go because I've been paying attention and I see what's right. The reality is, here in this passage, we have Jesus straightening some things out. We have him actually getting tough, if you will, in the best sense of the word. He is asking Israel and Peter and you and me who the Lord of our lives really is. Who owns your life? See, that's what the word kurios, Lord, means. It means that he owns your life. Whoa. You mean like, no, he's, not, he's not my advisor? No. He is not my consultant. He's the owner of my life. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm so glad you asked this because it isn't just for you. It's for the whole world because the Messiah is the Lord of everything. He owns it all. And that's a good thing. But we don't often act like it is. He's asking Israel and Peter and you and me who the Lord of our lives really is and whether we truly know him as master of everything. He's the mighty king the master of everything. His name is wonderful. Our time, our money, our relationships, our feeling, our depression, our sorrow, our anger, our politics, our Facebook accounts, all of it belongs to him. And the reason Jesus does this is because he loves us. And he does not want us to miss what it truly means to know him in the deepest and most intimate way. He does not want there to be any kind of disconnect between us and him. He doesn't want there to be anything that gets in the way. He wants there to be contact. Now, I, I told this first hour. I hadn't planned on it. And my wife's here this hour, so I'm gonna, I just have to be honest because she'll say, the people will say, did, did he tell you this story? When I was in seventh grade, before I knew Nancy, we would go ice skating in, of all places, San Diego, <laughs> Mission Valley Center. And 
we'd have free skate the whole time, and the boys would be crashing into each other and doing what seventh grade boys do. But the last skate of the night, the youth group leader said, okay, boys, you have to go over and ask a girl to skate, and you have to skate around while the music plays. All right. There was one girl I wanted to skate with. I still know her real well. And uh, I always hoped that she was not wearing gloves because you had to hold hands while you skated. And I didn't want to just hold her gloved hand. I wanted to hold her hand. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. God says, take the glove off. Take the glove off. I want to hold you. I don't want you to put anything between us. And the reality is, so many do not know this. Our world is living in a shielded fashion with some sort of covering on it, trying to say, well, I will protect myself because I don't want your cooties. I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable in that way. I don't want that kind of intimacy. I want to protect me. I want to call all the shots. They did not know that then. They do not know it now. All of what was happening in Israel, because they'd forgotten, was putting on all these different layers, the scribes and the Pharisees, and Israel itself. And what our world is missing now was missing then. And what, it is, what that all comes down to is knowing what it means to trust and to want the master to be utterly in control of our lives all the time, such that we are not looking for loopholes and ways out or to do the least of him. You see, Jesus does not want us to say anytime, ever, I, if I'd only known. Jesus does not want us to say, if I'd only known. That's why he's so direct here. If I'd only known what it meant to truly serve Jesus and serve like Jesus, I never would have wasted all the time I did on such trivial stuff. No, he doesn't want us to say that. He doesn't want us to say, I would have never made up the lame excuses I did for not doing all he would have me do. You know why? Because he wants us to know the joy of belonging to him without the glove on. See, if we really know Jesus, and we can, because he wants to be known. He's not hiding. We're the ones who hide. If we really know Jesus, we will not be torn between how much of ourselves we give to him and how much we keep for ourselves. If we really know that Jesus is Lord, we will already know that the whole of our lives are his to deal with as he sees fit. And we, want, we won't want to hold on to life, any part of it on our terms, we will say, hear Jesus. To be faithful then to the master is to want to please him, not to stay out of trouble, but because that's the joy of life. That's what we were created for. It is to let him set our hearts and our schedules. Dwayne, this is for you. It's to give him our cell phones, okay, and our calendars, and to hand them over to him and say, here, Adjust this accordingly. Put into this what you want. Take out of it what you don't want in there. Hand it back to me. I promise not to mess with it. I'll do exactly what is there. In your case, my friend, it's a yellow tablet. 
It will not be a matter of whether life goes our way that determines if we give him everything. It will not be a matter if life goes our way that we give him everything. In fact, because it doesn't go our way, we will give him everything. To grow in Christ is to want to serve him no matter what by realizing that he is the master of everything and that the events of this life do not change our complete allegiance to him. Doesn't matter who gets elected. Doesn't matter what the political platform is. To make Jesus Lord of our lives is to make him known as the one who gets complete oversight of all that we have and are. Because you know why? It's already his. It's already been, always been his. We are his. He bought us on the cross. The church knows this. The church has always known this. We are the ones who have been gifted to make the saving grace of Jesus Christ known. It is the highest calling and privilege any human being can have. To ignore this is to be unfaithful stewards, Jesus says, who will be more liable than those who did not know the purpose of life. This is about judgment. You're going to be so sorrowful, he says. Jesus says there will be an accounting. And trying to define this accounting is not the point. As if we could bargain and say, well, if it's not too bad, how much do I really need to do? How committed do I need to be? No. No, the point is that the judgment will be worse for those who know that this is their calling because we will realize the utter waste we have made of precious hours and years that could have been spent preparing the way of the Lord in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. The way that is reflected in our lives such that others are compelled to come and see the one we are living for with joy. You see, the ones to whom much is given, of them much is expected in the best sense of the word. We get to give away everything. We get to do the big stuff. We get to do the hard stuff. We get to see the greatest stuff because we are in the front with Jesus. We are in the starting lineup. We are in the operating room. We are in the critical places. And we get to, to be totally at his disposal. Jesus has shown us that he is the master who is more than worthy of our faithfulness no matter what because he has been more than faithful to us. To know him is to want, as I said, to be faithful to him, to give him all because of how he has shown us what it means to give everything for the mission. Jesus spoke this directly. He was so emphatic because he wants us to have the best. Not because he's trying to hold us captive or make us squirm or pay our way, but because he, he says, I've already paid the way. I want you to have the best. Let go of anything that is in the way of knowing the best for your lives. Take the glove off. It is as we take Jesus seriously and ex practically explore this call that we begin to discover what it means to actually be faithful. The things that we think we have to have, that we have to hold on to, they begin to grow dim. And the longing of our hearts to show him what is happening in our lives becomes 
our passion. It becomes our reason for being. Let me give you an example. When I was barely 22 years old and waiting impatiently six more months to marry the love of my life, barely 22 years old, I just graduated from college, the owners of the motorcycle store that I had raced for since I was 17 and worked in since I was 18 said this, you are in charge now. We will check in every six months. You won't be able to call us and we won't be able to call you before all the fancy telecommunications. Then they said, do what we show you. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I was so deeply humbled and at the same time a little bit scared. But you know what? From that moment forward, I lived every day to honor their trust. I could not wait for them to return and show them how things were going. A few months later, I, I got married to Nancy, and I worked in that shop 10 hours a day, six days a week. She was very understanding, but she would have to very patiently sit there as I would come home and recite all the things that we'd gotten to do that day and how excited I was about how many motorcycles we'd sold. And the reality is every day was a new day of thinking of ways to make that motorcycle business the very best motorcycle store in the entire city. And here's what my point is. Jesus wants to give us the same passion for serving him as we wait for his return. He's left us his Holy Spirit. He's given us this whole creation and called us to go for it. And he said, do what I showed you. Do what I showed you. Be excited. Be joyful. Be, be excited and, and don't be worried. I'll get you where you need to go. Every week, we affirm that we go nowhere by accident. That because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us. And this is what it means to be faithful to the master. To be willing to be used by him for his glory and to experience, as we do, the amazing things that happen to and through us as we are available to him. Here's, here's an example. Let me close with this. There was an American missionary named Adoniram Judson. Some of you may have heard of him. He arrived in what is called now Myanmar, Burma, and the Burmese still call it Burma. He arrived there in 1812, and he died there 38 years later in 1850. During that time, he suffered much for the cause of the gospel. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in shackles. After the death of his wife, she died. Anne, to whom he was deeply devoted, for several months, he was so depressed he sat daily beside her too. Most of us would have gone, get me out of here. I'm going back home. But three years later, while he was still there, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. But he did not leave. Adoniram's, Adoniram Judson's faith sustained him, and he threw himself into the tasks 
to which he believed God had called him. He worked feverishly on his translation of the Bible, learning Burmese well enough that he could translate the Old and the New Testaments from the original Greek and Hebrew, not from English, into their language. And the New Testament had now been printed and he finished the Old Testament in early 1834 and was still there for another 16 years when he died there. Now, statistics are unclear, but there were only somewhere between 12 and 25 professing Christians in the entire country of Burma when he died, and there were no churches to speak of. Pretty successful guy, huh? At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into Burmese, so we're talking in 1980-something, Paul Borthwick was addressing a group that was celebrating Judson's work. Just before he got up to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page the words, translated by A. Judson. So he turned to his translator, his interpreter, a Burmese man named Matthew High Wynn, and asked him, Matthew, what do you know of this man? And Matthew High Wynn began to weep as he said, we know him. We know him and how he loved the Burmese people how he suffered for the gospel because of us, out of love for us. He died a pauper, but he left the Bible for us. When he died, there were few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us. And every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, Reverend Adoniram Judson. But Adoniram Judson never saw it. He never knew about it. Hebrews 11, they died not seeing the promise fulfilled. And that will be the case for some of us. That will be the case for some of us. We may be called to invest our lives in ministries for which we do not see immediate fruit, trusting that the God of all grace who oversees our work will ensure that our labor is not in vain. We may experience rejection, but God has a plan. You see, being faithful to the master means realizing we are all of us in ministry because Jesus has called us personally and left us with this amazing, gracious, joyful opportunity. You know what? It will not be easy. It will call us to give up some things. As someone said, ministry is giving when you feel like keeping, praying for others when you feel like you need to be prayed for, feeding others when your own soul is hungry, living truth before people even when you can't see results, hurting with other people even when your own hurt can't be spoken, keeping your word even when it is not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh wants you to run away. But my friends, my friends, to be faithful like this is to discover what the gospel really is because we get to serve the one who really is the gospel. 
and as such we know what it is. So may we live this way. May we live this way so that someday when someone is asked if they knew us, they will with tears say, oh, yes, I knew that person and I know Jesus Christ because that person was faithful to the master. May this be our joy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for being so straightforward with us and for the power of your Holy Spirit that cuts to the heart and brings your truth to bear upon our lives. And because of this, may we take off anything that keeps us from knowing that truth and let it come to our hearts, even if it needs to be an astringent antiseptic that stings, so that we may be purified by your indwelling presence and we may make known the wonder of doing your will and belonging to you for your good purpose. Let nothing less get in the way and let all that you are be all that we live for. In your precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand up. As we are able, let's join our voices in response to this very simple question. Since we are redeemed from our sin and its wretched consequences by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why must, me, my, why must we do good works? Because just as Christ has redeemed us with his blood, he also renews us through his Holy Spirit according to his own image so that with our whole life we may show ourselves grateful to God for his goodness and that he may be glorified through us and further so that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and by our reverent behavior may win our neighbors to Christ. May our closing hymn be one that rings in our hearts always and may we live these words.
and he does every day in the power of his Holy Spirit teach us his way. May we therefore remember that as we go from this place. And as we do, may we recall that we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And therefore, go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.